Hello, everybody. Good morning. Hello and welcome to another edition, episode number 29 of the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. My name is Jim, and joining me as always, renowned hitting instructor, friend, professional evaluator, former coach, co-host, Jake Epstein. Jake, good morning. How are you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. Are everything going well? <laughs> Everything's going well, yeah. I'm in, uh, I'm in Denver. I head back to Texas tomorrow. So it's... Uh... I timed it right. The weather in Colorado has been like in the 70s for the last week. I think it's going to snow tomorrow. So um, I'm sneaking out just in time. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've gotten great feedback just based off the numbers I saw from last week's episode talking about the Cubs and their World Series victory, Game 7. Be sure to check that out in the archives. It was a great look back four years ago to a special moment, certainly in baseball history. Uh, let's do some inventory, though, from last week's show before we get into today's topic. I was actually perusing MLBTradeRumors.com this week, and they had a write-up One about... One of my favorite sites. Yes. every I mean, every day I check it. And they had a write-up about potential landing spots for Chris Bryan. We discussed him in length in last week's episode, showcasing that Cubs win in Game 7 in the Fall Classic. Mm-hmm. And... Um, We've talked about how he might not end up with the Cubs long-term. And I was reading the website, and they discussed possible landing spots. The Nationals, Braves, Dodgers, Tigers, Blue Jays could be one as well. And they all laid out their their cases as to why Chris Bryant would be a fit. And I encourage everybody to read that story. But where do you think he'll actually end up? Oh, that's a really good question. I I do think the... You know, the the Braves could be a pretty good spot for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would probably lean towards Washington. I think, okay. you know, they, they have the budget. You know, they're not as, you know, they're trying to fill that ro- that, that void that, you know, that, that was left last year, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like that would be a good spot. It's a pretty big market. I think he'd be happy there. Yeah. I think, I think he, you know – He's a he's a quality he's a quality player in that he's he's gonna hit he's gonna put up some numbers he does he is injury prone which is somewhat of a problem you know giving somebody a long term deal but he plays multiple positions if you need to throw him in the outfield you can you know you can throw him at third you can throw him at first base if he you know he's hobbling around a little bit mm-hmm. he's you know super athletic so I think that would be a, a pretty good pickup you know the fact that you know Rendon left and. Um, that was a big part of their their success. I think they need to fill that void. Yeah. Well, he does have one year left before he is a free agent. They could trade for him, but then I wonder, will he leave in free agency? You already gave up a lot for him. So that's the one risk that you, I guess you take as the Nationals organization going forward, where the Braves have more, so. and more an embarrassment of riches in the minor leagues. They can afford that. They can afford that. I think you have to have a deal in place if you're going to make that trade. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's worth... Uh, you know Lindor that might be something a little bit different mm-hmm. you know with you know Lindor being traded and, and getting prospects I, I think Bryant I think you, you are going to get some prospects for him but it would have to be a lockup he's not he's not a loner yeah you know, I, don't, I don't think he's a loner kind of guy that just it wouldn't make sense to me it's not like he's a guy in the back end of the bullpen or a starting pitcher you're trying to ride and, and, and you know yeah. get some magic going for the, the postseason I think this is, you know, a guy that's going to go early and, and try to find a place and maybe have a, uh, you know, kind of like a bets, right? Where yeah. it was, you know, we, we know he's going to come here and he's going to sign here. So we'll give up some prospects to do it a year early. Otherwise, I think they'll just wait for the open market for him. Yeah. 
What's your opinion on the legacy of Theo Epstein? Um, I, you know, I, for those who haven't been following, let me add some context. There's a substantial amount of evidence that he'll be leaving the Cubs and stepping down from his position as president of baseball operations after the 2021 season. He's been quoted as saying that there's always a 10-year place that was put in play, in motion. And when he first took the Cubs job a decade earlier, last well, yeah, last decade, that after 10 years, he was gone. And it's been a success, right? I mean, he's won a World Series, but you could make the argument, and some people have. There's been whispers across baseball that while he turned the culture of the organization around in Chicago, there's a segment of people who believe that maybe he could have done more, and there are some stones that were left unturned. So what do you think his legacy in Chicago will be? I think he brought a world championship to a to a mark or to a town that hasn't had one in a yeah. really long time. Mm-hmm. I think he did the same thing in Boston. I, it's not easy to win a World Series. Like I, I, I really feel that you know, Cubs fans and Yankee fans and even Dodger fans. You know, they have this, you know, expectations that oh, we're going to win a World Series every year. Yeah. Well, it's not that easy to win a World Series. You know, these are really smart guys and. With, with the technology and analytics that are going on, it somewhat levels the playing field, you know, between different organizations, especially top tier organizations. So um, I think, I think unfortunately it, there is a little bit of a sour taste in his mouth, you know, because they really haven't, they haven't gone deep into the postseason, you know, yeah. recently, but you know what? They got a World Series. He t- he turned it around. He did he, he he did what he said he would do, and why they brought him in, and he'll go somewhere else and be successful. I do think it's stale now. I think it's it's time for him to find a new you know a new place and a new position, a new challenge. I would sure. say for him, but I I think he he did his job. Okay. I, I really do. I, I think they've contended and they've done very well, and they have rings, and I think that you know more than anything else that's that's what matters i mean look at the look at the amount of teams that you know have never won a world series i know the cubs it's been a long time but i mean it's very very difficult when was the last time we had i mean the dodgers won this year and my memory is getting worse now but i mean when was the last time we had two teams win a world series within a five-year span like have we had that recently i'm trying to rack my brain no no, I mean we yeah. had the Red Sox. Maybe they they beat the the Rockies and and then for their second World Series, right? Well, that was 07, 2013, So there was a five year period there. Okay. And, well, six year period, and then six in years, 2000, yeah. 2018, that that's a five year period. But they're also I di- guess we they're different. We, we had the Giants, right? The, the Giants, Giants won it every every yeah. other year for a while, but it's just not happening lately. Yeah. Yeah, the last five years, we're not seeing that. So uh, I I, th- I think, uh, you know, obviously our DNA test probably c- crossed paths somewhere, me and Theo on uh, 23andMe. Maybe. So, you know, I'm never <laughs> going to say anything bad about, you know. <laughs> and I mean, there's one Epstein that I would probably prefer was, you know, not mentioned in any of the history books. But he's no longer with us. Yes, we try to keep we try to keep our distance from that that guy that last name. Yikes! Um, Theo's all right. I hope people know who we're talking about. I won't say the name, but <laughs> I, know, we, I hope people know yeah. who you're talking about. 
Uh, yeah, uh, they arguably had the worst World Series hangover, though, uh, of any team that won a championship in the last 10 years. Uh, and that was in 2017 I'm talking about. I mean, they underperformed so drastically. It's really a shame. And since then, it's been a roller coaster ride sort of straight down. I mean, in 2019, they didn't even make the postseason. This year they made it, but they lost again in was it the wild card round or was it the um, the division series? Nevertheless, they were they exited mm-hmm. really early. Yeah. So and that's and that, you know, and that happens. A lot of teams exited really early. Yeah. Um, switching gears here, I've been catching up on some reading. I'll show you the book I I have here. Let's see, Swing Kings. We talked mm, about this on episode, yeah. a few episodes back. Um, and I'm on. I don't know what chapter I'm on actually. Look here. Hold on. I'm on page one hundred those who've read Swing Kings. Uh, I just got done the, the chapter actually about Chris Bryant and his dad, Mike Bryant. Oh, chapter five, Bobby Tewksbury with an A. You remember him, Bobby Tewksbury, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was reading something here, and it brought to light a drill uh, that was being taught um, and to a kid named Chris Colabello. He played in... Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about. Okay, good. He played yeah. in independent ball. And he worked with Bobby Tewksbury with an A. Not the Bobby Tewksbury you may be thinking of, but Bobby Tewksbury with an A. Yeah, and he's so, a hitting coach back east. Right? Yes. So anyway... school in the northeast, yeah. So anyway, um, I have an excerpt here I want to read to you. And, I, and this this drill reminds me of something you taught me for many, many years ago. And I think you still teach your, your students this. Um, he taught the humming drill. It was it was a humming drill. It was kind of a mental cue. And it was basically to keep the swing... Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it was basically to keep the swing going and not to, to stop. So this is what it says. So the pitcher delivered his, the first pitch, a cutter. Calabello hummed quietly, but loud enough for the catcher to hear him. Hmm, thwack. He launched Calabello a home run. Next to bat, sinker. The pitcher's name was Leverton. Doesn't really matter. Don't know who that is. But um, again, Calabello, hmm, thwack, a double. Third at bat, same thing, hmm, thwack, lace the line drive. Okay, so in that game, he ended up getting four hits. That hmm, thwack, or hmm, humming, A-Rod's talked about it too, um, that humming part of hitting, that's kind of like the yes, 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 no type type drill or, or type approach mentally to get yourself locked in with the swing, right, and sort of um, keep the swing going and have that momentum. It make, I guess it may, sort of makes things easier and slows things down for a hitter mentally. Am I kind of on point with that? Yeah, it just clears the brain out. Okay. You know, it, 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 it puts you in a calming place. It's a clearing the mechanism, you know, so to speak, kind of uh, ritual that most players, um, you know, some players need to have, mm-hmm. you know, some players have naturally, some players don't think about any of that. So it's very interesting to see, you know, it would be interesting to see how long did he use it. So somebody gave me a golf tip once playing golf and he said, smile when you're putting. You can't be tense when you're smiling. I was like, it's the greatest thing ever. So I putted really well that day. And then the next day I tried smiling or the next time when I putted and I putted terrible. And guess what? I've never smiled when I putted again. But I still tell that story. So, you know, you have to stick with something. You know, if there's something that works, he may have hummed. That may have been the only four hits he ever got when he was when he was humming. Or maybe he still doesn't. Like, it's 
part of his routine. So yeah. you never know. Like people have their own their own ways to clear the mechanism, their own ways to to center themselves and put themselves, you know, in that in that circle, in that environment, you know, in that bad first box. And and um, obviously that that was his, and that's that's where it worked. Yeah. So, but it's very similar to the yes, 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 no mental cue that you use, correct? I mean, they're they're pretty much in the same family. I would, yeah, I would say they're in the same family. I mm-hmm. think the the yes, 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 no. I mean, you're not mentally thinking that every single pitch, right? You know, you know, it might it's it's in there. That's your mindset. Yes, 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 no. But I don't think you, the little guy in your head is is saying that every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're in, you know, a little funk where you're starting to take a lot of pitches. But um, I think that's just a reminder, like, okay, I'm, I'm aggressive. You know, it's like what I always used to tell my players, um, you know, in college was every pitch is a strike until it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, every pitch is your pitch. Every pitch is a fastball right down the middle. You have to have that mindset. And then we adjust from there. Mm-hmm. But if you're caught like, hmm, I don't know what it's going to be. Oh, that's a good pitch to hit. And then you're a tick late. You know, then it's like shame on you. Yeah. All right. Well, good stuff. Let's uh, get into the topic. And before we do, I got an email this week from the lab BCS. And I want to know what is going on this week at the lab. You're heading back to Texas tomorrow. So obviously you're going there for a reason. And I know what it is. Yeah. What's going on at the lab this week? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I don't know the the email that went out. No, we we got all kinds <laughs> of uh, craziness. We had what did we have? We had a tournament this weekend. You know, we had softball tournaments out here. It was so great. One of my one of my former students from Colorado is now coaching a youth travel team, and they were playing in a tournament. Happened to be in College Station. And she was able to take her team to the lab, and they trained, and they got to use all the technology. It was really cool. So we're going to do some maxing this week. Um, Very good. With all of our players. So maxing, you know, with, with everything, you know, pitch recognition, we're going to be, you know, maxing with, you know, T exit velocity. We'll max with machine, you know, high exit velocity. We'll also be having um, consistency training so you know out of you know say 15 or 20 pitches how many of those do we barrel so we need to find barrel consistency i love the fact that guys can load up and swing super duper hard and hit the ball as hard as they possibly can with their eyes closed but how does that convert into consistency so if we have a machine out there throwing throwing sliders or throwing fastballs with some sink you know at, at 85 miles an hour how many of those are you finding a barrel on so the hit tracks you know we can say oh well your normal max exit velocity is or your your normal high exit velocity is say 90 miles an hour if you're within two to three miles an hour of that we're going to consider that a barrel if it's outside of that it's not a barrel so then we'll be able to chart these you know we call it a max week but it really it's a testing week we're going to chart that you know every month going forward for our players and we do a pretty good job at that now but we're gonna we're gonna take it a couple steps further with the maxing um, because we've uh, pretty much our memberships are like through the roof so football just ended and and now we got to create more classes, which is uh, exciting for all of us that we're growing so well. Yeah. So log on to labbcs.com, check out all the price packaging, and uh, go out and see Jake for his excellent hitting instruction. 
Yes. The top-notch hitting instruction, no doubt about that. Um, Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast as well. Find us on social media. New episodes every Monday at 9 a.m. At Jim Tara at Epstein Hitting on Twitter and Instagram. And email us your questions, concerns, topic ideas, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com, and check out our YouTube page, The Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, with full archived episodes and some clips from previous episodes. Okay, let's get into today's topic, episode number 29, talking about different approaches in different types of counts. And I want to pull up a picture here on my computer, and I want to share it with you, Ep, and everybody else. These numbers are from 2016. Um, A split for each count. So first pitch, batters hit on average at at the major league level. In 2016, 347. 1-0 count, 356. 2-0 count, 346. 3-0 count, 385. 0-1 count, 320. 1-1 count, 334. Mm. 2-1 count, 337. 3-1 3-1 count, 369. I guess those numbers aren't really too surprising. I'm a little bit surprised by the 1-1 one, one count. Although, no, I'm, I'm actually really not that surprised. Oh, one count, yes, a little bit, but 1-1, one, one, mm-hmm. not so much. 0-2 oh, count, one, 150. 1-2 one, count, 165. 2-2 two, two count, 179. Full count, I'm a little bit surprised by this, 212. Uh, what numbers? I know I rattled off a lot of numbers there. Are you surprised mm-hmm. by the full count number, though, 212? I thought that'd be a little bit higher. And are you surprised by... Um, the any other number? I mean, maybe the yeah. O one count maybe is a little surprising, but nonetheless, O one counts definitely surprising to me. Yeah, I, I would think that'd be a lot lower. Mm-hmm. The full count is surprising as well. Yeah, but it's not surprising in the fact that pitchers are pitchers give in a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not throwing three two fastballs anymore. Yeah, so to me, that's not as so they're not using that as a. Uh, um, you know, hit that's not an advantageous hitters count anymore. It's still a two strike count. Yeah. So I would say what was the difference between two two and three two? So the two two count let me pull that back up. The two two count was it was one seventy nine. One two count one sixty five, two two one seventy nine, full count two twelve. Yeah. So not you know, I mean there's still what? You know, it's still it's still better at three two than it is at two two, but it's not like a two one count or you know a two zero count. So yeah. that's that's surprising to me. You know, I, those those averages are actually a lot higher. Yeah, all the way around, even in advantageous counts than I would have thought. So what it tells me is when you have two strikes, you're getting hammered. Yes, right? two strike counts are very low to offset you know counts where you're advantageous so to me as a hitter you have to know yourself but geez don't get to two strikes right you know what's the best way and that's what comes into you know what's the right philosophy right we talked about this uh, may have been last week or so but you know do we get this pitcher deep into the count do we get this pitcher deep into the game well pitchers don't throw more than like six innings anymore right so a lot of times they throw four or five innings. So getting him, getting his pitch count up does, isn't going to do you any good. That's not that's not really where the game is right now. It was, you know, maybe four or five years ago and before that. So now it's like, okay, do we attack this guy earlier in the count? Mm-hmm. Like we know we got to get him early. And is that the mindset? Is that the approach heading into that game? But if the guy's got really good stuff, and he's you know being he, and he's able to throw changeups and sliders on the first pitch or the first two pitches, and we're over aggressive, then we're giving in to him. So it's 
it's just what makes this game so beautiful. It's adapting on the fly. It's knowing what kind of stuff that guy has and, and having the right plan and approach to attack him that day. Mm-hmm. And and then as a hitter, knowing your strengths, you know, are you a guy that swings early in the count? You're really good at it. Do it. If you're not, don't do it. This game's you know, really complicated. Then all of a sudden, what's that? This yeah. game's really complicated. It really is. And the chart, I think, explains that. I want to bring up another number to you. The 2-2 count on base percentage is 184. It jumps when it's a full count from 184 to 452, the on-base percentage. The slugging huh. jumps from 280 when it's 2-2 count to 361 with a full count. And with the OPS, it jumps from 464 with a 2-2 count to 814 with a full count. And that's the best... Um, OPS in a count since a 2-1 count at 9.07. So maybe the batting average is a little bit deceiving for everybody. Yeah, it might be. Well, it also tells you that the, the OPS is high because guys are walking too, right? Right, right. So they're, you know, they're, maybe their pitchers aren't giving them great pitches to hit. So maybe it's it's one way or the other. There's either a guy challenging them with a fastball or they're trying to throw an out pitch, 3-2. Yeah. Right, and that could be situation-based too, like his first base open. Yeah. Um, is it early in the game? Yeah. Is it late in the game? You know, is it a blowout? Yeah. Is it not a blowout? So everything situation wise could change. Like a three two count when your team is losing by four runs. Okay. Yeah. Or you're up by four runs. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't really mean anything. Okay, I'm gonna throw a fastball here. But right. in a tight game where the guy on deck is struggling, uh, all of a sudden maybe you're gonna throw a breaking pitch in that situation instead of a fastball. Yeah. You you know, <sighs> I, it kind of goes back to the simple approach, though, with the batting averages being so high early in counts to be aggressive early in the count and attack first and second pitches, correct? That is where I would lean. Yeah. Um, but there's more but, There's yeah. more to it, yeah. right? But the, you know, there's a lot more elements to it than just kind of saying, okay, we're going to swing it, we're going to be as aggressive as we can right. early in the count. Yes, because you still have to make sure he's throwing strikes early in the count yeah. you know if he's flipping breaking balls early in the count that aren't hangers mm-hmm. or we're not in a position to hit that yeah then maybe you don't do it but i'll tell you what if i'm if i'm a fastball hitter i'm looking for a fastball early in the count the first two or three pitches i'm going to attack that thing yeah and if it's a breaking ball then hopefully i pick it up and i can abort that swing and not swing at it yeah just kind of but spin I'm, on I'm ready it. i'm ready to hit those are going to be the best pitches i'm going to see against like walker walker bueller you know that would be a good yeah a good kind of a template that he attacks guys early in the count. Remember, strikeout pitchers try to get ahead. Yeah. So guys that are trying to blow you away, they got to get ahead within the first couple pitches, and they're going to challenge you there. So this is where I guess the analytics and data, though, really comes into play, where it's certain things telling you and kind of shaping your approach as a hitter, as a club offensively, to tell you maybe, hey, we got to be aggressive against this guy. And I guess it varies analytically from each from each pitcher, from Walker Bueller to a Clayton Kershaw, who has that, I, I don't know, I guess he has that propensity to throw a breaking ball, right, mm-hmm. in early encounters. Where Walker Bueller, I watched a lot of him in the postseason. I, not so much. He will pound that fastball, and he will throw you a fastball early in counts. So that's where the approach kind of changes. But maybe the common denominator is still to be aggressive, but just sort of have that approach of maybe looking for 
a different type of pitch depending well, on who maybe it is. be yeah having selective aggressiveness right so with Bueller, you're aggressive on fastballs yeah early in the count mm-hmm. you know maybe with Kershaw Kershaw likes to finish a lot with with that cutter right he likes to yeah. throw that cutter later yeah later in there and jam you you know so maybe with him you look for change-ups or curveballs earlier in the count again that's I don't study his data so I don't know but you know those are the kind of things that that you need to look for as a hitter like sometimes you know within the first three pitches I'm gonna get a hanger yeah like he's gonna throw a breaking pitch to try to fool me I'm gonna sit on that breaking pitch because I know I'm gonna get it within the first three pitches yeah and maybe that's your mindset like that's you're you're attacking that is a that is a you know high powered uh, infrared you know scope yeah you know it's yeah. not a it's not a broad you know from a thousand yards right this is not a broad oh I'm gonna hit a fastball it's like I know I'm gonna get every time I face them I know I'm gonna get a breaking ball early in the count I'm gonna look for that thing to you know to whatever pop whatever his arm action is you know if it's different I can pick it up I know I see that breaking ball I'm gonna sit on it if he throws anything else I'm gonna take it but when he throws me that breaking ball I'm gonna be right on it. Yeah. So then basically the pitch selection part is having that plan, knowing if I get that pitch, I'm not going to miss it. And that's, that's I'm not going to miss it. Yeah. And maybe the count's 0 1. Maybe he throws a fastball on the first pitch. Mm-hmm. Great. 0 1. Yeah. And then maybe the next pitch is, you know, a cutter in, right? And then the third pitch there is that curveball. Right? Yeah. Like I know I'm going to get it. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to waver. This is my plan. And a lot of times that's hard to trust you know a lot of times you just start changing that oh maybe he'll throw me this here maybe he'll throw me that here but if you have a plan and you're comfortable with it then yeah stick stick to it you're you're first at bat you know that things may change as the situation of the game unfolds yeah maybe how you got pitched your first time up now all of a sudden i'm going to make adjustments or maybe all of a sudden we're we're going to tie game in the seventh inning okay well that might change you know what i'm trying to do here maybe I'm trying to move a runner over. You know, I mean, there's so many different scenarios to change your approach as a hitter within a game that you have to you have to be smart. You just can't get in the box and expect to hit. Yeah, you you've talked earlier on previous episodes about how you would tell your your hitters in college about a certain approach, give them some ideas, and they would just take the pitch that they were supposed to to swing at. Um, it can be very. I, I've, you, you've mentioned it before, and it seems like it can be very frustrating to to get guys to understand. You got to not let this pitch go. You got to get this pitch and not let it go get by you. And I, if you do that, if you let that pitch get by, that changes everything. The whole approach, because now you're in maybe in the hole oh one when you should have attacked that pitch. Correct. It's going to definitely affect what's going to happen after, right? Yeah. Now, do you still sit on it? You know, I mean, certain people can still be like, okay, that was just one pitch. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still going to he's gonna throw me another one, right? Or, you know, maybe he's going to try to sneak a fastball here. Mm-hmm. But, yes, you can't get frustrated when that happens. As a coach, you get frustrated when that sure. happens. You know, the old saying goes, you can lead him to water, right? <laughs> but you can't make him drink. And, and and players will learn with experience and they'll learn as they get older. Hopefully they get to get older and keep playing. Right. And they'll eventually learn and be like, Oh, you know, that old crusty son of a gun up. He was right. You know, like, you know, like I I shouldn't have, I I could have been, you know, great at that time, but that's where hitting coaches, we talked about experience, right. And having that wisdom, you know, that's where a lot of the big league hitting coaches are, are so great because they have that, approach they have that mental side of what is that pitcher trying to do they have a feel for the game that 
a stat rat or somebody chasing analytics numbers they won't have that they'll have other very good qualities but they may not have that in-game wisdom yeah or feel for the game that you know those guys that you know have three three thousand at bats under their belts in the big leagues you know might have yeah okay let, let's let's shift gears here o2 count mm-hmm. and a guy has first this is your first or second at bat against a starter and a guy has four different pitches that he can throw over for any time I guess add more context. This we'll just say it's high level division one for now, and then we can mm-hmm. maybe move on to the the pro side. But high level division one SEC pitcher, he's got at least three pitches he can throw any point in the count, and a fourth pitch that he's developing, but it's still pretty nasty for the collegiate level. You're down the count, o two. What's the approach there? What are you looking for? How do you still give yourself a shot to beat this guy when the numbers say that there's a low probability you may do that? So we must be facing Vanderbilt. That sounds, sounds That's fair. Like somebody they would we'll have. Go, we'll go to Vanderbilt, or, yes. Or, or Georgia, where yeah. they got some arms. Um, I would probably pretend like I had something in my contact lens. Okay. To, and then... to, to try to break 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 the inertia of that pitcher that got me 0-2. Yeah. You know, maybe step out a little bit, take a breath, you know, maybe try to mess with him. Oh, my lens. I got some dirt in there. Okay, now I'm, and maybe I'm thinking about what I need to do. So when I'm in defensive mode, um, again, it, it depends on the situation of the game, right? I mean, I got maybe the infield's back. There's a run, there's runners on second and third or, or you know, all I got to do is put a ball in play. You know, yeah. All I have to do is put a ball in play. Like a little ground ball is going to get a run in, yeah. you know. Betts is on third. Mm-hmm. Who sets the record for the greatest jumps ever? <laughs> yes, from third. But God, is he so? Oh, is he instinctual and prepared? Anyway, yeah. Um, I would usually look for the out pitch. Okay? okay, so I'm looking for that slider. I'm looking for that curveball, which is going to be slower. Mm-hmm. Okay, so by it being slower, it's telling me I need to wait longer. Okay, so if I need to wait longer, I need to slow my rhythm down. That's the way we work on it when I'm training players. We're going to slow our rhythm down. Sure. And if he throws us 95 on the inside part of the plate, we're going to lose. Okay. But if he throws us that out pitch and we're letting everything travel a little bit more and we're kind of anticipating slower with break, you know, we're going to have a better chance to hit that breaking pitch that is his out pitch. Or more importantly, we won't chase it. Because if we're looking for something that's a little bit slower and that's breaking, we're going to make sure it doesn't start out down. Because sure. if it starts out down, it's going to be in the dirt. So we're looking for something to start out at our chest, and we're going to be able to hit it. Now, again, if we're looking for something that starts out at our chest, the guy throws 95-mile-an-hour fastball at our chest, mm-hmm. we're, you know, that, that's we're, we're, we're probably going to chase that pitch, right? Right. And then, right. you know, we're going to lose. or if, But we're not going to lose on – that pitcher's best pitch okay mm-hmm. and then you can trace it back to you know what this is why every team strikeouts like you know 10 11 times a game yeah right because of situations like this you're 0-2 with a guy that throws really good pitches so then i would have a conversation is remember that you know that 0-1 fastball you took yeah yeah that was the pitch you should have hit that bat. okay yeah but this but you're but yes i'm in a, i'm in a defensive mode i mean for the most part i'm in a defensive mode yeah. Um, if there's runners on base that, that I can either move up or score. Now, if, if there's a runner on first and there's two outs, mm-hmm. maybe I'm still looking for that slider, but I'm not looking to just put it in play. I'm looking, I'm looking to drive this thing in the gap with one swing and hopefully 
hit a double to drive that runner in from first. And if I fail, I fail. I make it out. But hitting a single there doesn't do us any good. Mm-hmm. You know, hitting a single with a runner on first, you know, that brings up the next guy, but this pitcher's still a stud, right? So yeah. we saw it in the playoffs. You got to hit extra bases. You got to hit home runs. You got to get a walk and a double or a walk and a home run or a couple, home, you know, you have to take advantage of that one pitch. So what I'm banking on there with a runner on first base and two outs is I'm looking for, even though I have two strikes, I'm still looking to drive a ball. If I strike out, I strike out but I'm looking to hit a double somewhere. I'm still looking for, you know, probably that off-speed pitch, and yeah. I, but I'm going to drive that thing into the opposite field gap. That's my mindset versus I'm just trying to put it in play. I'm, I'm letting it get super deep, and I'm really defensive. Maybe I'm choking up. I'm not going to have that in a different situation. Right. Now, have we lost? Or Seager might. I mean, you, you mentioned, though, like, like he chokes up on the bat, right? I mean, and you mentioned choking up yeah. on the bat there. Have we lost yeah. that, though? We've lost that art of situational hitting. Is that why maybe the game isn't as pleasurable for the viewer but is that why we have so many strikeouts a lot of questions that we can branch off to but do you think we've launched yeah, I mean, that approach yeah there's a, yeah i mean if you look you know if you look at i would say the dodgers were the best situational hitting team by far i saw all year yeah i mean really they put they took bad swings with guys on third base and they scored runs with it mm-hmm. they had a lot of first to thirds yeah. you know they had they had doubles they they did hit home runs of course too but the reason they put up big numbers you know four five six seven eight runs was not all on home runs it was because they scratched runs across too yeah or they put a two strike ball in play that snuck through a hole because of the shift and then the next guy hit a home run where it seemed kind of like Tampa Bay hit a lot of solo home runs, right? They they yeah. just you know they were like one run at a time. They they weren't able to put those big innings together because they weren't you know they weren't putting balls in play as much. Yeah. Now maybe the Dodgers pitching was that good too. Well, the Dodgers, for the record, they hit the most home runs in 2020, 118 as a team, but they had the second most RBIs at 327. Okay, mm-hmm. runs per game, most in Major League Baseball in 2020 after 60 games at 5.8. So I think that that expands on your point and and makes more of an argument where yes they hit home runs, but they also scored a lot of runs and they knocked in a lot of runs without that home run. Yeah, I mean I just think of the small and don't take me for a small ball guy, but. I mean, I don't know. Betts had two or three times where he scored from third base when the sure. infield was in. Yeah, yeah. On choppers, on weak ground balls. Yeah. But if those guys strike out there, those runs don't score. That's an out. And maybe that third hitter doesn't get up. That ends up hitting the home run, you yeah. know, or whatever it is. So they, I just felt like the Dodgers kept innings alive. And I feel like some of their guys, I mean, look at Jock Peterson, right? Everybody knows he can hit a fastball. Right. He's still got fastballs to hit. He never misses them. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't miss them. Yeah. And I think, not to get off on a Dodgers tangent, but I think a lot of that has to do with the base running you mentioned. Uh, It has to do with player development. Their player development system right now is top-notch in in all of baseball. And it's been like this for now for at least four years. Their player development system has been phenomenal. I mean, they teach you that in player development. Yeah, they really take care of their players too. They they eat much better than most clubs. Yeah. Their spread is not your typical spread. You know, it's not the clubhouse guy. And I'm talking about in the minor leagues. You right, know, it's of not course. the typical clubhouse guy putting out peanut butter, 
you know, and jelly and some white bread and like they have, they have catered food with the right amount of macronutrients and, and they travel a little bit better. And it's just, it's just a better development platform. That's where it starts with. It's, it's maybe not quite as good as an SEC nutrition um, because those guys really get taken care of well and eat really well. But for the minor leagues, it's like, it's crazy how much better the Dodgers. The Yankees are pretty good too, but how, how the Dodgers made that. I have a, a guy that works for me at the lab, Steven. He's the you know pitcher in the Dodgers organization. Poor kid didn't get to pitch this year, right? Because he's a minor leaguer. Sure, sure, yeah. um, but just a great kid. And he's like, yeah, he's like, it's the greatest minor league system to be in. He says, I don't know if I'll crack, crack the big leagues with them because they're so deep in the farm system, but I don't mind spending my first three years with them and then getting out with somebody else because yeah. that's, but I mean, nobody has ever said that. I've never heard anybody say that about the minor leagues. Yeah. That it's, it's really not that bad. And then I read something recently. It may have been on MLB trade rumors about the changes in the minor league, you know, uh, the, the bargaining agreement and how they, they're going to have to have two buses next sure. year. Yeah. And instead of one bus where everybody's crammed in, one of those buses has to be a sleeper bus, you know, something like you can't. I mean, I remember we would play a game. We'd get done at 10 o'clock at night. We'd shower. We'd eat something. I don't know what it was. Yeah. You know, we'd get out of there at 11. We would drive seven, eight hours overnight just yeah. in a regular bus. And then we get to the hotel in the morning at like six, six o'clock in the morning they'd get us checked in which was the only good part we'd sleep for you know four or five hours and then we'd go to the game you know right. i mean that's just what it was like yeah and i i think that things are changing in the minor league system which will help with production player development and not being you know 70 80 90 games into the season being like oh my god i need an off day yeah how many more months do we have like and when it gets when it's to grind like that hot in the summer you know it's it's not bad when you're a big leaguer yeah <laughs> but when you're a minor leaguer that's a really long rough season you know 140 games they don't make them like they used to Ep, right <laughs> no they're so soft now nah, they're all I had a, soft i had one of those rafts i remember i i had i bought it like walmart that was the greatest store ever when you're you know minor leaguer you get anything there still is so by I bought the way. One of those still is they have great specials still still is yeah. so you know those floating rafts you get at the pool they were gray yeah gray on the bottom sure yeah clear on the top yeah yeah and they were long they were probably six feet long and a couple feet wide well i bought one of those and then i would blow it up and because i'm a large human right and then i would lay it on the floor mm-hmm. like in the aisle and then I would sleep on that overnight. Well, the problem is it's so hot because they're made out of plastic. Yeah. That you'd wake up sweating. People would step on you all the time. It was it was miserable. Yeah. But why don't you get a, why don't you get a pull out bed? Or I'm sorry, not a pull out blow up mattress. Oh well, we, they had no plug. No. No. Outlet. Well, we had no. There's no room on the bus. It had to fit in the aisle way. Oh right, right. Yeah, so this was bus sleep. This was overnight bus sleep. Yeah. There's a story. Uh, I think. Maybe it was when B.J. Upton, Melvin, is he Melvin now? I don't know. But it was when the up, first Upton brother came up with the raise, B.J. I think he's the, yeah. he's the older one, right? Yeah. When he first came, it was coming up in the minor leagues. I read a story. He was on this team. I forget which team it was. But the bus broke down, and it was like in the middle of the day. It was really hot, and they the bus didn't have any air conditioning. So when they got the bus going again, they didn't get the air conditioning back. So then they were really hot. 
it was extremely hot, and there were no, they couldn't open the windows. It was, ooh, yeah. So they don't make them like they, again. They don't, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> no, that's Gosh. a rough one. How many, how many former minor leaguers that you played with, or guys that you know who spent so much time in the minor leagues, looked at that story or heard about the new accommodations in minor league baseball and said, "Damn it, you got to be kidding me." <laughs> What could have been? What could have been two buses? That would have been the greatest. Thing. I was born in the wrong generation. We had, wrong generation. We we had it was so odd. Like the the Latin players. I remember. I wish I could remember his name. He was like my first buddy when I got there, and he spoke. His Spanish was so bad that the other Latin players couldn't understand. Him. <laughs> and so he was the guy like I would try to communicate with, and we would just end up laughing at each other. But um, you know, back then. There, you know, headphones. There weren't like good headphones, right? So the music that was played was for everyone to hear. Yeah, we didn't have personal listening devices, right? You had Walkmans, right? The Latin (laughs) dudes. Yeah, maybe we'd have a Walkman, right? The Latin dudes had like a (laughs) boombox. So the back of the bus was a party, man. I mean, you had great Latin beats going on, but you know come midnight or so on an overnight trip you kind of want to like shut it down and then yeah. it would get you know confrontation and you know, yeah yeah i would get exciting yeah uh by the way that still goes on they latin players still bring the boombox into the clubhouses now too it's still that's still there. the clubhouse is okay the clubhouse is okay the bus no, no good on the bus yeah, and, and I've noticed that players nowadays, maybe this was, I don't know, maybe it's that OCD part of baseball players, and I do it too, but you listen, they listen to the same song over and over again or they listen to the same music over and over again in the weight room. And, <laughs> yeah. My office is outside the clubhouse in the weight room, and you hear the same song over and over again literally for like six hours. There's, yeah, I uh, like that song. Sax, sax, uh, saxophone man or something, and he, it's like a 10-hour song. And he just plays the same beat over and over, <laughs> over, and over again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you could hum that. You could hum that uh, between pitches. Oh, it was stuck in my head. It was stuck in my head for days. Yeah. Um, let's get, let's get back to the topic here. Uh, so, when you're approaching accounts, how much do you take into account where you are as a hitter, and how does that help set up your approach for those different counts and what they might be on that day? Yeah, so you know it depends on how you're feeling. If you're feeling good, you know you're in a you're in a good stretch, right? You're seeing the ball pretty good. You can be a lot more selective. Yeah, and so you know I might start with a, you know have have my guys start with the day of. Hey, we're going to start out being you know aggressive, um, yeah. and then so now speaking, I, I guess I should speak more in the hitters. The hitter's mindset is, you know, let's be, you know, maybe aggressive early in the count. We don't know who this pitcher is. So yeah. let's let's go back. Let's go to like a youth level, you know, youth baseball, youth softball level. Not, you know, where we don't have all these metrics, right? We yeah. just have, oh, there's this guy or girl on the mound and she's, you know, kind of an average, you know, player. It's not overpowering. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we don't know yet, right? The game is just starting. We have no idea who she is. She's throwing strikes in her warm-ups. Yeah. So we're going to get in there, you know, maybe the first inning. And, you know, I'm going to want my leadoff person, you know, they need to take a pitch or two. You know, we need to see what this person's going to do. But, you know, thereafter that game, everything becomes like a dynamic approach where, okay, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe a leadoff hitter got on. So now the number two hitter's in there. And they're, uh, you know, a, a right-handed hitter. And the second baseman is playing at double play depth, right, pinching sure. toward the second base. And the first baseman is holding on the runner. Well, I have this huge hole over there. Mm-hmm. So maybe as a number two hitter, I'm thinking I'm going to look for something middle away. 
I'm going to, I'm going to keep my front shoulder down and in longer. I might step towards the plate a little bit. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to go into right field because I know even if I get on top of it, it's going to be a base hit. We can go first to third on this. That's going to be a great inning. So that's my mindset as a two hitter. So maybe that happens, right? I get a fastball away. I hit a, you know, hard ground ball to the right side or or a line drive into right field. Mm -hmm. Now we're at first and third. Now my number three hitter is up and I'm like, okay, this is a, you need to drive something, right? I don't want anything defensive on the ground. I don't want you to hit into a double play. I know that a double play will get a run in, but we don't want to kill this inning, right? We got two runners on. So now I'm like, okay, I'm looking for something maybe up in the zone, right? I'm going to look for something up in the zone. I'm going to hit something, you know, far, you know, I'm going to try because worst case scenario, now I get under it and it's still a sack fly. So, you know, that's the difference between one hitter to the next. You know, one guy's looking for a ball middle of the way to shoot through the right side because he's a number two hitter. That's his job. Mm -hmm. Number three hitter's job is to drive in runs. They have to have that mindset. I'm going to get something, you know, up in the air and and hopefully drive something into the gap. If it gets caught, at least we get a runner in. Yeah, yeah. And we still have a runner at first, and the next guy can, you know, maybe he'll steal second, you know, or or maybe that number four hitter's, you know, going to – you know, he can set up an inning with a double or a home run, you know, if, if all works out well. So uh, my dad used to tell this story about how counts, how, how sometimes counts will, will change your, your approach. So he said, you know, pretend it's the, you know, it's the ninth inning, it's a tie game in the ninth inning and there's a runner on first base. Yeah. And you look down at your, you look down at your third base coach or your manager and he says, you need a bunt. So you're like, okay, I'm going to bunt. I'm going to preset my bunt. I got to bunt it towards the first base side run around first third baseman's crashing maybe there's a wheel play you know whatever so then the pitcher throws it in the dirt sure wild pitch now the runner goes to second base you look down at your third base coach and it's like okay you're not bunting anymore i want you to you know hit a, hit a ball to the right side so now you change your mindset okay i'm not gonna bunt you know i'm gonna look for a ball out of, if i'm right-handed a ball out over the plate um, or if I don't have less than two strikes, I got to try to stay inside something and hit a ground ball. I got to play pepper with the second baseman. That's my job, right? Mm-hmm. So the pitcher comes set, and then he balks, right? So now all of a sudden, he hadn't even thrown a pitch yet, a strike yet, right? So now all of a sudden, he goes to third base. You look down at your third base coach, and he's like, and the infield comes in. He's like, okay, all you need to do is hit a fly ball. Mm-hmm. So now I'm changing my mindset. Okay, again, now all I got to do is get a ball in the air. I got to maybe look for a pitch up, go look for the bottom half of the ball. So that's one scenario, one at bat where that hitter had, you know, maybe three or four different thoughts depending on the situation that had changed around him. And that's why we have to be smart. We have to learn the game. We have to know the game. We have to watch games on TV. Hopefully we have coaches that are, you know, able to relay that information. They don't just tell us what to do. That's one of the problems I have with, um, and, and you know this with coaches is you know with catchers they micromanage catchers sure right so catchers just look over they get a they to know what pitch and then they call the pitch they're not thinking for themselves and learning the game so you know obviously the best coaches are the ones that teach those players I know in college we wanted to get guys that had good coaching right yeah they they know the game they know how to round bases correctly they know how to um, you know, pick pick up the third base coach when they're rounding second base. They know how they have a feel for the game, but a lot of times kids are just you know showcase robots now, and they don't really have they don't have a feel for how to play the game and how to you know make the ball do different things. I only know how to make the ball go high and far. Mm-hmm. Okay, well every situation doesn't call for that. We need to be a complete hitter. Yeah. So so you so uh, going back to what you're saying there for a second about when you're recruiting kids 
when Mizzou was recruiting kids, you were looking for mm-hmm. those little things. Maybe not not those more tangibles that stick out so much, but the little things that you may not have to teach, like picking up the third base coach or yeah. round, rounding bases more sharply so you can limit your steps and get to where you need to get to. There's there's so many parts. Yes. Yeah. I mean, what kind of teammate is this guy going to be? Right. You know, right. I mean, we know what your stats are, right? Everybody knows what your stats are. Yeah. You know, you go to a showcase and they chart all your stats. Great. Yeah. Okay. But what, you know, how do you, you know, what do you look like in the, in the dugout? You know, are you talking to your other teammates? Yeah. Are you having fun with your other teammates? Do your other teammates respect you? Yeah. One of my favorite stories is about Jace Tingler. You know, the, the current Padres manager, who's a buddy of mine. And he, when he was getting recruited, when, when Tim Jamison, when TJ was recruiting him, he's like, geez, who's this guy? You know, he's five foot seven, five foot eight. You know, he, and this is when he's in high school, right? So, I mean, Jace got pretty strong, but, you know, he's probably 150 pounds. And he's this crappy guy. So, anyway, it's, it's at a showcase. Okay. So, it's at a showcase. And he, that's the bottom of the whatever ninth inning, and he lays down a two out bunt to score the runner from third base to win the game. Like, who bunts in a showcase? The showcase game, yeah. yeah. Nobody bunts in a showcase. Yeah. And TJ was like, I want that guy. That is the most selfless player I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I don't care if he may never play for me, but I want him on the roster because he's going to make people around him better. Yeah, and sure enough, he ended up being a really good, you know, really great college player, and made the most of his 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 ability and size. So, those are the kind of guys you you know. Again, you want they're they're dudes out there, right? Oh, look at this guy, he's six foot three, he's one hundred ninety five pounds in high school. He just hit that ball four hundred and fifty feet. He throws ninety nine from the outfield. You know, he runs the six eight. Okay, I don't care if he's a prick. Let's get this guy on campus, right? I mean, he's he, he's yeah. a dude. Like we need him, although he's probably going to get drafted anyway. So you have those guys, but you have a lot more of the other guys. And to have a good college program, you have to find the right. It's like it's like a general manager. Only you have these guys for four years. It's like a GM that's out there trying to find the right mix of personalities and talent. You know, college coaches have to do that too, and that's why you see a lot of great programs that you know maybe or, or big time programs you you never really see them flourish because they just have talent and a ton of talent and a ton of guys that are only going to be there three years or they're going to drop out because they didn't start you know it was yeah. their freshman year and they were the you know macho man coming out of high school and all of a sudden they're not as good as the junior college guy that got brought in because he's two years older or has more experience and then he gets pissed off and he transfers out and he doesn't stick around so you have to be very careful for that too is you get all these guys with big egos that are really good but not everybody's going to play their freshman year you you only got nine starting spots so it's a fun uh you know it's a fun layout of people and personality and talents and finding the right formula to make everybody successful and some college coaches are just excellent at plugging in all the right people and some and then they stick with it right so and then they have those people and and everybody's comfortable and then there's some coaches that on a daily basis or a weekly basis are trying to find that right formula um, of talent and players and who does well and uh, it's fun to see because I've seen both sides like yeah. Uh, this guy looks better at practice. Or this guy, you know, versus, hey, here's the dudes. Let's just plug them in and 
let's see if they'll be successful. I don't know which one's right and which one's wrong. That Chase Tingler story is great. Just goes to show you that everybody wants to date the 10, but there's plenty of beautiful 7 and 8s out there. (laughs) That's exactly right. And twos are good people, too. Of course. Of course. You're the problem with this country, Jim. (laughs) I I am. Lay it all on me, baby. But it, it goes to show you on a serious note where people like yourself coaching at the collegiate level with professional experience and growing up in clubhouses and whatnot, you have already sort of that, well, you have that scouting background, but now you can scout in terms of recruiting and get the right guys rather than those showcase type players that may be drafted out of high school and may go on to, I guess, stupidly sign with an organization. Yeah, and they could admit sometimes that's what they need. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like I have a lot of good friends that joined the military when they were 18. It was the best thing they could do because they were on, the, they were on a bad path, and the military just knocked that out of them and gave them direction and created leadership, and they flourished as, as human beings, you know, and as, yeah. as executives in large companies because of the military. And I think the minor leagues can provide some of that too. I think the college game definitely provides some of that, you know, for that young kid coming out. So, yeah, it it, it definitely is. I get to see things, you know, uh, from 360 degrees. You know, I get to – Right, right. I can evaluate, okay, here's raw raw mechanics, right, on a screen. Yeah. Here's raw mechanics on a screen. Okay. So we take that, and then I can watch a player – move and react in a game setting and that's a lot more fun for me you know that would be like step step two yeah and then the other one is you know personality and and how does that player mesh with other people that's the hard part because a lot of times you don't see that until they get on they get on campus or they sign then you have them in an organization um but that's the tough part but that's where you have to do your your due diligence and make the right calls and call the travel ball coach or call the high school coach or call the kids hitting instructor or pitching coach you know what kind of person is this nobody's ever going to say anything bad yeah but when people call me all the time like what do you think of this player and i can't lie to him because if i say oh yeah he's great kid great kid and then he shows up on campus and he's a punk then none of my other players are that coach is going to be like well epstein he just he's not honest with me so I'm right. not going to recruit any of his guys anymore. Yeah. So, you know, it's you you have to be truthful. Like, this is the issue that, that may come up, you know. Great talent, but there is a hard-headedness here, you know, a tendency to do this. Or, I mean, most of the time it's – this is the – you will have zero problems with this kid. Like, he's not going to get arrested. Yeah. He's not going to underage drink. He's not going to party all night. Like he's a really good quality human being. That's going to make people around him better because he works really hard. Those are my favorite goals. May not have the most talent, right? Doesn't have the highest exit velocity, but because he doesn't have the highest exit velocity, he works twice as hard as everybody else to compete to where he is today. And he's still going to hit balls over the fence, but he's going to scrap his way to doing that. And I think a lot of college coaches, for players like that number one they don't have to risk him signing out of high school right number right. two kids always get bigger and stronger when they get to college but that work ethic that is really tough it. yeah i mean yeah i mean you can't make that you know i've seen lazy players that just kind of show up to practice yeah and you try to motivate them to have them work extra and then they'll do it for one or two days and then that's it it's just not in their dna right 
Yeah, you become a and, private investigator when you're when you're recruiting. <laughs> kind of like scouting. Yeah, absolutely. You're kind of like scouting. <laughs> you do. Yeah. Yes. Be absolutely. sure to be sure to like and subscribe. Good stuff this week. Like and subscribe to the podcast. New episodes every Monday at nine AM. Check out our YouTube page, the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast, uh, social media at Jim Tara at Epstein Hitting and uh, our email address, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. For any questions, concerns, or topic ideas, let's get to a listener question. It comes to us via jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. It's from Joe in Orange County, New York. Joe says, Jim, great job with the podcasts. My question is for Jake. Do you teach, Jake, and or recommend a no-stride approach with two strikes as long as a hitter counter-rotates and has the front foot open at at least 45 degrees and drops his heel. Again, that is from Joe in Orange County. Good question, Joe. Thank you very much. Reminds me of Orange County Choppers. I used to really like that show. Never watched show? it. No. You never watched it? No. Oh, the dad and the son would always make fun of each other. It was like me and Big Mike all the time. Okay. I've never watched it. It's an old, old show. Anyway, uh, I'll, I'll, do I'll I teach it? it? I, I teach it on occasion. Um, I typically don't teach it. Uh, I, talking about the no stride approach, right? Not to say that this is right or wrong, but I teach it when someone has terrible timing, okay. like they can't stride to save their life. Mm-hmm. So we just take the stride out, and he's exactly with right. Two strikes or overall? Are you, say, are you saying with overall, two strikes? Okay, overall. I'm talking about overall. Okay. Yeah. I usually don't change. I usually don't change from stride mm-hmm. to no stride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, maybe if I'm in a somebody's in a slump really bad and they needed just a different feel, mm-hmm. I would do that. But I, I, I don't typically do that. You're either a no strider or a strider. Yeah, is kind of how I do it. Now, there and the the reason is is because it's different. Sure, it's, it's different. It's like learning two golf swings. Do I do one where, you know, I, you know, whatever, turn my shoulders more, or do I do one where I turn my shoulders less and take you know more of a whatever. I, yeah. it, I, I don't really want two necessarily different feels. Um, but again, that's at a higher level. You know, if you're at a young level, maybe that's really easy. I will tell you that the, uh, Mizzou implemented that um, recently because I, I still talk to those guys regularly and have some players I still talk to. Um, and it was rough the first year doing it, but they did notice a decrease in strikeouts this year, you know, since okay. they were back. They've been doing it in the fall. Okay. Um, and I don't know if they do it with all players. They might just do it with, um, you know, m- more of the table setter kind of guys. So, okay. I, personally, I don't, I don't teach that because I feel like we're, you know, not that we're giving up, but we're we're not in control of our body if we have to do it. It's kind of like a last, last hurrah. I know I have two strikes. I'm going to strike out. So I better do a no stride to try to put it in play. And when I saw it in action, what happened was players ended up being really early. And with two strikes, that's the worst thing you can be is be early. And the reason they're early is because they're not taking a stride. Right. So they're still reacting. Like I'm still moving at the same time. I still am loading into my back foot, but because I'm not picking up my foot that takes time and putting it down, I end up being quicker. So maybe that's good on pitches middle in. Is that a myth though? I mean, is that kind of a myth that you're quicker that way or is it just kind of maybe to keep the head more still and shorten up? The, the, the myth is that you, you actually have less moving or it's not a myth. The idea is you have less moving parts. Okay. So there's less things to go wrong. 
But, you know, if I'm waiting longer, I'm going to do something with my rhythm to wait longer. Yeah. So what happens is when we have two strikes, what do we usually do? We usually early run our front foot, right? Like that's what two strikes we strike out, run our front foot, we get fooled by all the speed pitches. So now all of a sudden I'm doing something that's going to make me be quicker to the ball. All I got to do is drop my heel, right? Sure. So now it's like, oh my God, I got to wait super, super, super long because I don't have my stride to slow me down. Now vice versa, maybe a stride is jumpy. Yeah, and that's what makes people get fooled. So I think you can try it. There's nothing wrong with it. So don't you know? The, the question to me was, do you teach it, or do you tell your kids to do that? And I don't. Um, that's not. But but some people do. It's just something that I ch- I choose not to do because I think I feel like it complicates things. Um, I feel like I can take a really slow, easy stride, mm-hmm. and not everybody can um, with two strikes and still be defensive yeah. versus just getting, getting the foot down early. Cause I, I think it's a, it's hard to rep that out in games. You know, we've been taking a stride so long, all of a sudden now we're going to take an early stride or something like that. Um, anyway, time will tell. I will say I watch big leaguers and copy them mm-hmm. for the most part. I feel like you copy the best in the industry and there are a couple guys that do get their foot down early. I can't think of them right now. Bobachetta is one. Bobachetta is two one, strikes. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. he doesn't stride. Yeah. He does the no stride approach. He does the no stride. Yeah. With two so strikes. I, I th- like there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's I would say it's comfortable for the player. And yeah. on a personal yeah. note, mm-hmm. I um, let's see. I started the year doing the no stride in college once because I worked on it all winter and did great. Mm -hmm. Was hotter than a pistol for about 20, 30 Mm at-bats. And then it wasn't comfortable. Mm -hmm. So then I went to a regular stride, and then I got hot again. Mm -hmm. So you know what? Everybody has kind of their own idea, but the no stride is definitely not a bad thing. It's limiting in that you you won't create as much energy and ground force, but um, I would say do what you want to do. If you're comfortable teaching that and your players are comfortable doing it, then do it. Yeah, teach its own. Well, we got a great month of November shows. On November 30th, we dive into proper winter training. On November 23rd, we'll present a mechanical breakdown series, and this one will be fun. We are dissecting the swing of Pete Rose on his birthday, which happens to be on November 23rd. I can't wait for that one. But next week... Mm-hmm. We circle back and revisit our player development series, Volume 2, and we discuss contact points for different pitches in a variety of locations, plus contact points for different types of pitches. That is coming up next week. That'll be a fun one as well. Yeah, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. All those. I'm looking All forward those. to Pete Rose, too. We've got a great, great yeah, great November upcoming for the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast. Did I miss anything today? We got to a lot. We were all over the place, but we... Uh, put it into I, I, context I, we were i thought it was i thought it was excellent actually um and it did re- that pete rose reminds me of a meme i saw that said if uh i know where you're, I know where you're going yes. aj hinch are allowed to manage again then pete rose should be allowed in the hall of fame wait wait don't don't say anything wait 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 hold on before you before you give your opinion don't give it on this episode Wait two weeks. No, no, I'm not going to get okay. on this episode. Wait two I, weeks. I, I think that was. I thought that was a really <laughs> fascinating meme. Yes, it was by baseballer. I think. I think that. Yes. Well, two weeks. Give me two weeks. I'll forget by then anyway. No, I'll bring it up. I'll have you, it. I'll, okay, I'll, you better. Write I'll it have now. it on the format. Two weeks. Okay. 
All right, that is next week. Next week, though, we're doing our uh, player development series, Volume 2, discussing contact points for different pitches in a variety of locations. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.